Hope is the currency of COVID. It is. It, didn't, it wasn't always that way. You know what the currency of COVID used to be? Anybody remember what the early co- currency was? Toilet paper. Honestly, it was the one resource that if you had it, you'd make it through. Because we were looking at this thing as if it were just a blizzard. Right? So if you, there's a blizzard, if you have enough TP, you, it'll get you through and you will survive. And now we realize this is not a blizzard. This is a, a winter season. And we hope it's not an ice age kind of a season that we're in. But we're going to need more than, uh, than paper products to get us through. Hope is the currency of COVID. And, you know, it's still very much with us. Um, you know, fortunately, you know, by the grace of God, m- most people recover when they become infected. But you know, I was just talking to a church member this week who had, uh, you know, struggling, you know, positive with COVID and, and struggling with some pretty nasty symptoms. She's going to be fine. But it's, you know, it's still a serious thing. And we still pray for people. It's impacting schools and businesses and, and you know, your work. And so we, uh, we need this hope uh, the currency of COVID. Now, hope always exists on a spectrum when we hope in things. How firmly we hope in them is based on what kind of evidence we have. So I hope, I have a hope in my life, that the Patriots would make the playoffs this year, the New England Patriots. Now, that hope is based on the fact that they have two games left against uh, the Jets, who are terrible, one game against the Dolphins, also terrible, and then two against the Bills, who are not as good as their record shows, so I have some level of hope this afternoon. That hope may change because those facts change. But it's, my hope is based on what I've seen and what I would predict in the future. Um, you know, I have other hopes. Uh, hope that I would hope that we would, you know, pack this sanctuary out shoulder to shoulder, you know, with a 40-voice choir on Christmas Eve. It's not going to happen. My hope that that would happen is very low because the... the because of the way things are trending and the way the numbers are, that's not going to happen. But I have another hope, that on Christmas Eve we're going to have an amazing time of worship. And that there will be beautiful music of the season and celebrating Jesus Christ. That hope is a firm hope I have, because I've seen how we can worship together. And I've listened to the plans that are being made, and I say, you know what, that's a, that's a more firm hope. So hope always exists on this spectrum. Biblical hope, hope in God, is a certain hope. It is a fully sure hope that we have. And in fact, in our world, it is the only sure and certain hope that exists. Anything else you put your hope in, any other uh, hope that you put in other than God, will uh, inevitably fall short, let you down. It will end, it will die. It is not certain as our hope in God and God's promises. And this morning, you have come here, in varying degrees, in need of hope. Some of you are, have, are on the verge of, of losing all hope, or are you just feeling very hopeless at this time. Other of you, maybe it's not some life-shattering event, but the small uh, impact of day-to-day things building up over time, small things adding up, really cast us down and really rob us of our hope. And I declare to you today that God wants you to have hope. God wants us to be a people of hope. And he's provided that we might be able to be people of hope. So let us pray. Father God, as we seek together as a community to grow in our hope, to have a firm and secure 
knowledge and belief in your promises. Pray that you would bless us and teach us during this time. You know our hearts. You know what we've come here with. You know what we are facing. And, and Father, we know that you are good in the midst of it. So we pray that you just use this time for your glory and for the good of your people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So we're going to journey through this text and first want to look at what God does here. Uh, remembering the context of this letter we've been studying, this is a group of believers, you know, the early Christians, Jewish, from a Jewish background, put their faith in Jesus Christ as the Jewish Messiah. But they were a persecuted people. They were a discouraged people. They are on the verge of really getting stuck, of not growing, uh, or even worse, you know, becoming lazy or falling away, losing hope, um, turning from their faith because of the things that they had, had faced. And they, are, they were certainly a people who needed to know hope hope in God and in God's promises. So the author of the letter points them, and he points us too, to an example from the Old Testament, the example of Abraham, to show us what God does in this sort of, uh, our, this sort of quest or this journey of, of hope. And so these Jewish believers would have known the story. If you know your Bible, you know the story. The example he gives is the example of Abraham, and we see this in verse 13. It says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Abraham waited patiently. Did he? You've read, so those of you who've read your Bible, you say, wait a minute, I call foul on the author of Hebrews who says that Abraham waited patiently. God made a promise to this man, Abraham, for no reason. Abraham didn't seek God's promise that we know of. The scripture just says that God goes to this man, Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you descendants, many descendants. And the whole world will be blessed through your descendants. I'm going to bless the people who bless you, and if you are cursed, those people will be cursed. And this is a beautiful promise of God. But Abraham was an old man, and his wife was old, and really beyond childbearing years, and he, he had very little hope that this, that, you know, God would, that this would actually happen. And so, because years go by, and this promise of God is unfulfilled, they sort of made their own plan. Abraham and his wife decided that Abraham would have would, a child with their servant, with a servant woman in their household. And a child was born, Ishmael. They kind of, God made a promise, and they just wanted to kind of push the promise along, kind of help God out in the process. It's hard to say that he waited patiently here. Um, and this is, you know, so Abraham, this was a huge mistake with consequences for Abraham's family and all through history of Abraham's descendants till today. His son, uh, Ishmael, so God, eventually, his wife Sarah became pregnant, and they did have a child in their old age, and his name was Isaac. And the descendants of, of, of Isaac and his son Jacob are the, the Jewish people, and by faith, the you know, Christians are spiritually part of this family. The descendants of Abraham, uh, the, the descendants of uh, Abraham's son, uh, Ishmael, essentially are, are Muslims, 
So it caused strife in Abraham's family, if you know the story. But in our world, to this day, there is strife between groups of Muslims and, and Jewish people and groups of Muslims and Christians. This is a huge, this is a huge mistake he made. And our text says that Abraham waited patiently. But what's going on here is Abraham, after Isaac is born, you know, Abraham does have tremendous faith in God to the point where God is testing Abraham and he instructs Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac. And Abraham is willing to do that. And God intervenes and, and Isaac lives and God provides a, another sacrifice for them. Isaac is not sacrificed, but this great test of faith, Abraham, astounding faith, Abraham's trust that God would protect his only son and that God would fulfill this blessing of descendants who would have to go through his son Isaac. Abraham trusted that. And so even though he faltered at times, and even though he was not fully patient at times, he really did have an amazing faith in God's promises. And it's after that, that, that moment with Isaac that God makes this promise and oath to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. So the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting from Genesis 22, not from earlier moments in, in Abraham's journey. And, and, and God promises, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. This, this example of Abraham, it really does prove that, you know, despite what it looks like, God is faithful to his promises. So God makes this promise, but then God confirms his promise by making an oath. The God of the universe, his promise is good, but then he goes even further to confirm it as an oath. You know, isn't God's promise good enough? But God is doing this so that Abraham can just be certain, can be completely sure. If you're familiar with um, the, the Harry Potter book, The Half-Blood Half Prince, or the movie, and uh, Professor Snape is promising to help uh, Draco Malfoy finished the task that um, Lord Voldemort had given him to um, essentially to kill Albus Dumbledore. I don't know if you're familiar with this. If you're not, this makes no sense. But, the, but what happens is his promise, Snape's promise, wasn't good enough for those who was promising. So they, they told him that he needed to make a vow and to make what's called the unbreakable vow. And they, they cast this spell where his vow... Uh, he, the, the vow was, made his promise sure, and if he did not keep his promise, the penalty was death. And so that's all fantasy, of course, fiction. And, um, but God, who doesn't need to make any promise, makes a promise, and then he confirms it by an oath. And because God is true, his oath is unbreakable. And he makes it to this man, just so this man knows that, God's, that his promises are Good. So not only does God make the promise, but he confirms it with, an, with a word of oath. And two things become really evident when God does this. One is that there is nothing on earth that is more certain than God's promises. Nothing is more certain in this world. That's the first thing that becomes really evident. The second thing that becomes evident is there are few things on earth that are harder than waiting on God's promises. Than trusting God's promises over time. The example of Abraham is a great example to us because he faltered, because it was hard for him to, to, to be patient. You know, and, and it reminds us, yeah, God's timing is not always my timing. 
But it is in that waiting, it is in that in-between time where we grow, where God is, is stretching us. He knows what, how we need to be stretched, and he stretches us in ways that are good for us, that grow our faith. God knows exactly what we need. You know, I think about this opportunity for the church to expand our property this way. We've wanted to do that for years. For, this is a 40-year journey or more of, of desiring to have you know, facility and property that can best accommodate our ministries. And the door just kept shutting and shutting and shutting. And then when we weren't asking for it, the door opens. But God knows what we need. God knows that we needed to get things in place and to be healthy in a way to even consider this. And we're still just considering it. And we will, you know, we're meeting and we'll be discerning together if we do take this next step. But again, God's timing is just never our timing. And sometimes, and here's where it gets even hard. God makes promises and they're good, but God's eternal. So sometimes those promises don't get fulfilled on this side of eternity. So I, it's, you know, even Abraham, again, this is a great example. Abraham had his son Isaac. He saw that he had a descendant, but he didn't see that he had descendants as numerous as the sea of the seashore. He didn't see that the whole, all the nations of the world, not just, not just his family, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham's family. And one of his descendants, Jesus the Christ, came to, to bring ultimate healing and forgiveness to all people, not just Jews, but to Gentiles, to male and female, and people of everybody, that all the nations of the earth are truly blessed through Jesus. That didn't happen until generations after Abraham had died. I sat with a friend who said, you know, on his, on his deathbed, advanced cancer, said, God will heal me. And it'll either be here in this place or it'll be on the other side. But God's promise is good, and he will heal me. But God's eternal, so we don't always even see it on this side. That makes it very difficult. So God makes a promise. He confirms it with an oath. That's what he does. Why does, he, why does God go so far to, to make these promises to his people, to assure us that his promises are good? Why did he do it? Verse 18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, These things cannot change. God cannot violate his promises because he is true and his word is good. By two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us might be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The image here is of an anchor. And and it's a great image. Life is on this ocean, and it can be turbulent, and there's these waves, and the boat is being rocked. But if that anchor is firm and secure and holding on that rope, then we can be secure in an unstable world. Hope for us becomes an elusive thing. It can be hard to hang on to because there are times when we put our hope in things that aren't God. He is the firm and secure anchor. We, we have these other things, and we pull the ropes, and the ropes come right up. There's nothing there. It's not connected to anything firm and secure. We need to be anchored, but only God can anchor us. And we, and we, look, we look out into the world for things that might you know, bring us stability or help us feel more settled. They're going to let us down. Or worse, we look within ourselves. We say, you know, I need hope. I need, and we become self-reliant and, and we use our um, willpower to try to increase our hope. And it, we let ourselves down. 
So the things out there and the things in here, I look, I look inside. I should be looking to the cross. I should be looking to the promises of God, which are alone, firm, and secure. Here's where, I, uh, here's where we talk election. There's an election this week. As we go and as we engage in, and as we should engage in these political processes, where is your hope? Is your hope in a candidate? Is your hope in a party or a platform? Or is your hope in Jesus Christ in his eternal kingdom? That is where our hope should be. And when we feel threatened and when we feel that, you know, everything else is unstable. Yeah, we live in an unstable world. We, we work together as best we can, but we have sinful humans. Jesus Christ died for Donald Trump's sins. Jesus Christ died for Joe Biden's sins. We pray that by faith they would receive that. But our hope is in the, in, in the God who saves, the king of all. That won't change whatever happens this week. That won't change. God is still in control. But where's our hope? Where's our ultimate hope? Um, when we don't think that we're safe, when we don't think that we are secure and anchored, you know, we become panicky and anxious, and we become, um, you know, maybe we just strive to, to feel safer or to save ourselves. We can, we can become hopeless and just... Without that, in the theme of this whole series, we've been talking about finding true rest. And when we rest in God, and when we rest, when we find that true rest in his promises, then we really have that hope. And without resting in his promises, we do not have that hope. So God makes the promises, confirmed by his oath. He did it so that we can have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And then this hope takes us somewhere. Where? Verse 19. The hope, so the hope is an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The hope enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so there's a couple vivid Old Testament images here. It's saying that this hope is entering in behind a curtain. What curtain? It was the curtain of the temple. It was the place where God's very presence was most powerfully known. It was a place of worship. And it's the, it's the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, where only the, the high priest could go, and really only one day a year. And, and he would go and offer the blood of the sacrifice in this place where God's presence was known. And even then, he couldn't linger in there. You had to do your priestly duty and get out. And the image here is that Jesus is the forerunner. It's a very interesting word in Greek. It's the only place in the New Testament we see it. But a forerunner is the one who goes ahead to make sure things are safe. So in a military setting, is this troop going to advance? Well, let's send forerunners to make sure it's safe. And Jesus has gone into this place, which is otherwise very dangerous. And he said, no, this is a safe place. Because I am a greater high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which, again, another Old Testament image, Basically, Melchizedek is, a, is greater than all the other priests. He's greater than the Levitical priests because he's, he's, um, he's a, a priest king. And in Jesus, in, again, chapter 7 of Hebrews will just expound this uh, Melchizedek image. But Jesus, the gr- greater than any other priest, goes in and offers the greatest sacrifice, his own blood, which satisfies the Father. And he said, actually, this curtain that separates us from God, it's torn wide open. And we don't have to just go in and do something, get out. Now we can go in, and our hope brings us right there in God's presence. 
that we live a life of hope with God present with us, not distant. And Jesus has made that happen. And our hope brings us into this deep fellowship. And it's, it, that means there's a way of life we now live with hope, that we, we live now a way of life that is just very open to God's presence. And it reminds us that we are just reminded again and again that his promises are good. His promise to never leave you or forsake you, no matter what the circumstances. His promise that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. His promise that not even death or life or angel or demon or nothing in all creation can separate you from his love in Christ Jesus. This is... These are the promises of God that we live in and we live it in his presence that we are reminded of them. That God is indeed, whatever I'm hoping for that I didn't get or whatever hope has been dashed in my life, that, that he is working all things for my good and his glory. Even if I don't get that answer. Even if the healing didn't come on this side of eternity. Even if the relationship broke. Even if I lost whatever it was. We live a life behind that curtain in God's presence. The fellowship of God. And that's how we can cling to that hope. That's, that's why that anchor doesn't untie. And we think about today, hope is the currency of COVID. And if that's true, then it's, it's exchangeable. You can trade in this currency. So for those of you who have this hope, you're going to leave this place and you have a hope that can go somewhere. Uh, look at these verses. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That hope is going to overflow from you to those around you who need it. You're going to spend it that way. Colossians 1.5 says, faith, The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up in you and that you have already heard about in the word of truth. That, that there is faith in God and there is uh, there is. Love, that springs from hope. So this love is going to be springing forward you, from you to those around you. 2 Corinthians 3 says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. This hope in you is going to make you bold in the world around you so that you can serve boldly and be generous boldly and that you can speak God's word boldly. Because there are people in our world who have zero hope. They don't have any firm hope. They might have some hope in things that are temporary, but they do not know the Lord. And you have hope that you can give them. That is why we must be people who share our faith in Jesus Christ. We must tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came and he died for for their sins. And he rose again to new life. That they can have forgiveness and new life. We must share this hope. We cannot cling to it for ourselves. So we've got to spend wildly. Let the currency flow. Today, however, you might be here saying, you know what, I actually don't have a lot of extra hope to spend right now. And you're kind of on the receiving end. This message is not a, a, you know, three steps to increasing your hope. It's not a how-to sermon. This is about, well, perhaps maybe identifying false hopes in your life. And we know that they're false hopes because we get really upset when they're threatened. So if you feel like something is threatened in your life, then that may be a false hope identifying those things, putting them away. But to build hope, you just need to remember that God's promises are true and they are certain. God can be trusted. He actually must be trusted. And we're going to go with him behind that curtain 
We go with Jesus went behind that curtain into the fellowship, the very presence of God. We can experience that. Because of our faith in Jesus, we can experience that all the time. And it's safe there. And we pray to him and we're face to face with him there. And we experience a a growth of hope as we continue to be reminded of his promises. And then you have hope you can spend. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Let us pray. Father God, we are in a uh, a season and in, in, in a time of, and for many reasons, in different ways, personally and in our world around us, that is tumultuous. We, we are that boat that's rocking on the waters, but you have given us your promises. You have confirmed them in so many ways, and we cling to that hope that we have, that it would anchor us, that would, it would root us, and that it would propel us, Lord, to over, that hope would overflow to our world. Be glorified in that, Lord. Show us who you want to um, have us share our hope with. So many need it, Lord. For those sitting before me who are in the sound of my voice who have lost hope for whatever reason, I pray that they would know your promises are good. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.